Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. I continue the conversation with my old friend, Reverend Dr. Angie McCarty on hey, our hey. sex series. Welcome back for more messy sex. Thanks. <laughs> I'd like to create some messy sex with you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now I'm throwing off my game. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some messy sex. Uh, I'm so proud of you for the work that you have done, because when I look at where we were over 30 years ago with our abstinence education efforts and where you have landed, it reminds me of a quote I want. My pastor used it in churches this past Sunday, and I want to say that it was from uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that if you think the same thing at 50 than you did at 20, you've just wasted 30 years of your life. We are, <laughs> whether whether it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or some other basketball player or somebody Whoever else. said that, Brilliant. Exactly. We're, we're not going to claim to be all-knowing about the origin of such great quotes, but I can't agree with it more. I don't know that there's anything in life that I think or feel the same about at 56 that I did at 26 or 16. Uh, and so I'm all about evolving. My one and only tattoo on my body, that's the word, evolve with a feather. Um, I'm all about evolving in healthier deeper, richer ways so that I can have healthier, deeper, richer relationships with God, self, and others. So Angie, as we get ready to dive back into this conversation, I have to tell you about, I, I guess I could, I guess I should call it a vision. It wasn't a dream. It was while I was wide awake, but uh, recently I was having a Zoom conversation with a lady and she asked if she could please share a particular song that had really meant a lot to her lately. So I said, absolutely. So I did a little screen share and she pulls it up on YouTube and I'm listening to this song and have my eyes closed. I could just focus on you know listening to the words. And while I was listening to that song, I had two thoughts. My first thought, oh, it, it was a song by Casting Crowns, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, Love them. Yeah. So my first thought was, oh, I remember the days of being the bell of the ball at all the Christian conferences and American Association of Christian Counselors World Conference, where I frequently was speaking alongside musical artists like Mark Hall uh, of Casting Crowns or Mac Powell of Third Day or Rebecca St. James or whoever. Like those are really precious memories for me. But those days are in my rearview mirror because when you go through a divorce after 27 years of marriage, you're not exactly the bell of that ball anymore. And so I had a moment of sadness, a little bit of grief uh, that that part of my life is behind me. Or I, I would say that part of my life has evolved into something healthier, deeper, richer with people coming to us here in Springfield, kind of like the Branson thing of you know, all these artists we're tired of traveling and being on the road all the time. So they created something and people came to them in Branson. That's basically what we've done right next door to Branson is people come to us now for one-on-ones, for face-to-face, for deep 
counseling and coaching and workshops and we we couldn't love it more and i especially loved not having to travel so i immediately told myself oh shannon don't grieve your old life because look at the new one that that god has allowed you to evolve into and the vision was that there are lots of ships on the water carrying hundreds of thousands of people out onto sea at any on any given day you know i don't know how many cruise ships are and, and then you know military ships like on any given day there's lots of people out on the water but there are very few who are scuba diving to the bottom of the ocean <sighs> and that the image that god gave me was that shannon no you're not the big speaker on stage anymore like you used to be but you're the one scuba diving and going to the depths of where people are really hurting and what they mm -hmm. really need in their spiritual life and their sex life and their relationships. So all that being said, thank you for being my breathing buddy on mm -hmm. this wild scuba diving expedition into yep. messy sex and the effects of the purity movement. Do you feel like you're scuba diving sometimes? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's scary. So are you dive certified? Oh yeah. Have you? Yeah. I remember diving in Cancun, beautiful, clear water, tropical fish, um, and jumping off the boat, going down, getting a little disoriented and scared. It's easy because, to do with water. <laughs> because what is above you is not what you're used to having above you. And it looks exactly the same as what is all around you. And so there is this sense of fear in the depth until you get used to it, until it becomes your new norm for that 45, 50 minutes, whatever, how long your dive is. Um, and, and going down is the scariest part for me. Yes. The descending and analogy holds. Descending. That, we don't know what, we don't know where, we don't yeah. know what we encounter there. Yeah. Yeah knowing that it's going to be different and gorgeous. Yes. yes. Discover things that we would never discover by snorkeling. We're yep. not going to see the beauty on the surface. Plunging to the yeah. depths is where the beauty is yep. really experienced. So let's yeah. plunge to the depths, baby girl. Let's go. Let's talk about helping people move beyond the pain of the purity movement. <laughs> if they found a painful, like... I acknowledge that there may be an occasional person who's like, you know what? I drank the purity Kool-Aid and I'm all the better for it. And I'm glad that I did. And it helped my totally. relationship. We've been, we've had a rockin' sex life our whole marriage. You know what? If it's not broke, don't fix it. But yeah. the vast majority of the people that you and I hear from are the ones that are right. walking wounded from and yet, what experienced. And given what we do, it would make sense that the majority of the people who are coming to us have been harmed. But let's also say that research shows that a vast majority of the people who went through purity movement education feel that they were harmed rather than, than good being done. So it's not just us and our experience. I'm, I'm glad that you're able to back that up with research, that mm -hmm. this is not just yeah. our perception or whatever, because yep. yeah, I, I, I feel like I kind of need to start with me, you know, like, yes, it, you, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. So mm -hmm. I rewind the tape back to 30 years old when, um, 
I first started writing about my own sexual journey and wrote a self-published book is what it wound up being called Words of Wisdom for Women at the Well. It was when I submitted that book for, for possible publication that I received a response of, we don't think that this would sell. Nobody knows who you are, but if you'd be willing to write the Every Woman's Battle series alongside Steve Arterburn and Fred Stoker's Every Man's Battle series, we feel as if you could you know, reach thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people. And that's exactly what happened. And I have to go on the record as saying, I will never regret going on that journey. I saw a lot of amazing things happen in people's lives, but I distinctly remember this conversation and I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm just, I feel the need to be honest about what my original intention was. I remember having the conversation with the publisher saying, I understand I had such limited understanding of marketing, but I said, I understand that it feels like a battle for men. And so every man's battle, that title made sense. It's why it became a bestseller almost immediately. But my response was, I'm not so sure that women really see this as a battle because when I tell people that I'm writing a book called every woman's battle, the response is, oh, what is every woman's battle? Is it shopping? Is it eating? And when I tell them it's about sex, they say, oh, well, that's not really my battle. I don't even want to have sex with my husband, let alone somebody else. Mm -hmm. But yet the publisher insisted that, no, this is the corollary to the Every Man's Battle series. So we have to call it the Every Woman's Battle series. But my intention with that was I was writing to sex addicted women. Words of Wisdom for Women at the Well was writing to sex addicted women because I had been sex addicted from 15 to 20 years old. So my goal was to help women not barter for attention and affection with their bodies, not settle for just crumbs from the table, not use sex to medicate their pain, uh, not lower their standards and just sleep yeah. with anybody and everybody that would give them some time and attention. That was basically the bottom line. But because it was labeled as every woman's battle, there was a lens created for women as they were reading that book. And in particular, the every young woman's battle book um, that was probably where my biggest regard comes from. Now that one was my biggest seller. It, it, it sold over half a million copies within a short amount of time, uh, published in 30 different languages, award-winning. Um, however, there was a particular chapter in there, uh, about how masturbation is really just fueling your own sexual fire and that you should just save all your sexual energies until marriage someday. And when I sat in my human sexuality class at Liberty University and was challenged by Dr. David Lawson on show me in scripture where masturbation is a sin and I couldn't do it. And then he mm -hmm. challenged us with, well, if you can't show me where it's a sin in scripture, but yet you're preaching it as sin, how is that any different than what the Pharisees did <laughs> by telling people, oh, your sacrifice isn't good enough. Oh, you need to buy one of our doves mm -hmm. or our lambs or whatever. You know, like. The realization that I have put something in a book that's permanent, it's black and white, it's out there all over the globe that is teaching women that they shouldn't have sexual feelings and that they certainly shouldn't touch themselves or act on it. I regret that to the nth degree. Yeah. 
and the conversations that I had with the publisher around the notion of rewriting the series to be a little bit more grace-based and understanding of what that was shut down and I'm not blaming them. I realized that the Every Man's Battle series was basically written for sex addicted men. So we were all coming at it from a particular angle, but yeah. the person who had no sexual baggage whatsoever and then read our book as Every Man's Battle or Every Woman's Battle and were told not to masturbate. I'm mortified by that. And I just want to be the first one to apologize for serving up that kind of Kool-Aid. But um, we didn't intend to do harm is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. We acknowledge that we did. Yeah. And I wish I knew how to fix that other than doing what I'm doing now. Right. Um, and encouraging people in one-on-one -on -one conversations that, that I feel like personally I was wrong on that topic is the best that I know to do. But you mentioned Joshua Harris in our break. Yeah, he did. He did the same thing. Joshua Harris, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which I read and wholeheartedly received, um, didn't always play out that way, but wanted to right. have that that level of um, accountability in my first marriage when, when we were dating before we got married. Um, and that book shaped a generation. I mean, it it was wildly successful. Um, I think Joshua Harris was like 20 when he wrote that book mm -hmm. and he explains in his Ted talk, which I recommend for everyone, everyone should, should watch this Ted talk. Um, he talks about how someone years later sent him an email that said, this book really hurt me. This book caused harm to my life. And rather than dismissing it like we often do when we're called on harming someone um he engaged in conversation with her and listened to her and started listening to others and eventually repented of what he did and and i think that he had the best of intentions too he did not set out to harm people you and i did not set out to harm people in the weekend retreats that we did but, but now we, that we know we caused harm, well, we it, have to do the work now. And when you look at the age ranges and the education that mm -hmm. all of us had, I mean, Josh being 20 years old and I was 30 when I started uh -huh. writing Every Woman's Battle book um, for 31, something like that. Uh, and you were even younger than me. And none of us had any kind of psychological or counseling or human sexuality training whatsoever we were just going on what we had been fed by this true love weights movement and the church at large we were regurgitating what right. we've been fed without really examining it underneath the underneath the spotlight or under the, underneath the microscope we did not have the capacity or the experience to critically reflect on what we had learned and what we were teaching right and so it's that critical reflection that has been brought about in a number of circumstances. You know, it wasn't just because I read a book that I started uh, recognizing that there was another way to think about sexuality and purity even. Um, it wasn't just that I got divorced. It, it was this whole, whole big thing that led me to the place where I am now that will hopefully keep leading me into the future 
And I have been very clear that this for me is an act of repentance mm-hmm. that, that I want to do- to write the wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So if I do publish, I think that I should send a copy of my book to every single kid from Tyler Street United Methodist Church that I talked to and um, that we indoctrinated, really. This book has to see the light of day. It it just has to. It can't just stay in dissertation form. It has to be made available to the public at large. I think that where I really um, realized, not just in that human sexuality class with the conversation around, with the masturbation conversation, I think that the season of my life that the veil really lifted was when my own children became nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. And their questions around Mm -hmm. masturbation, their questions around their sexual thoughts and feelings and energies. And I realized I can't say to them that that's wrong. That's bad. That's don't Mm -hmm. don't touch yourself. It's like, that's natural. That's normal. That's even healthy Mm -hmm. to some degree. Like I want you to, to feel that freedom to enjoy how God wired you and I really Did, love I'm sure I've told you what I taught my daughter I, I, I was going to say are, are you getting comfortable putting that out there <laughs> I'm not sure that she's comfortable but the way that I taught my daughter about sex was you have no business having sex with another person until you know what pleasure feels like and so figure that out so that you can guide others to to help you receive pleasure too, because, because what I took into my first marriage was the belief, the promise of the purity movement, that if you save sex for marriage, your married sex life will be incredible. Phenomenal. And so talking to Addison, my firstborn, I could not say that to her because that was not my experience. Right. Right. Yeah. I- I knew that I did not want my children living a promiscuous teenage life the way that I did again from 15 to 20. And so um, on the topic of of, uh, masturbation, I remember being in a play group when my daughter was probably five or six or something and actually much younger than that. I think it started at three and went until she was five or six. But one of the moms brought up this conversation about how her son couldn't keep her hand couldn't keep his hands out of his pants especially you know when he was naked or bathing or whatever like every single small male child on the planet exactly I said I'm curious what how do you respond as a mom because I had just had a baby boy it was like oh my time is coming and she said I just tell them that we don't do that in public Mm -hmm. if you want to do that you need to go to your room and I remember at the time thinking, but over the years, I've realized that was probably an incredibly balanced, healthy message. That's normal. That's natural uh-huh. that's to some degree. It's just not something for public display. Yeah. Bottom line. So I think that when I look back at the bigger picture of why I even got sucked into this whole purity movement thing myself as a youth pastor I was trying to redeem my past years mm-hmm. of promiscuity. And I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. that that's what Steve and Fred were trying to do too, to some degree with the Every Man's Battle series. Um, but I was also married to 
a guy who was a virgin when we married at 27 years old. And I think that I was trying to make myself look like, look less like damaged goods and more yep. like, oh, I've evolved. I should have done it this way. I wish I could rewind the tape and do it over again. And I'm, I'm not going to say that that isn't true to some degree, but the fact that I was sexually experienced prior to walking into this marriage, I don't regret that. Like, mm -mm. I just, yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of Christians are. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to regret every sexual experience that happened outside of the context of marriage. I'm not sure that I can go that far. Whether you can or can't, this, the idea, what I'm getting at is that all of us abstinence educators, all of us youth pastors, uh, I think pastors to a certain degree too, a lot of us are just trying to redeem what we feel like we messed up in our own lives and yeah. we mess up other people in the process, which really supports Richard Rohr's philosophy that if you don't transform your pain, you'll transmit it. Mm -hmm. did. That is exactly yeah. what we did. Yep. We passed on our shame. Yeah. Yes. I feel like there needs to be some kind of ritual or liturgy that, that addresses this. So an act of confession for those of us who feel the guilt of what we did and what we taught. Um, I, I always want to, to acknowledge that I believe we and others did this with really good intentions that what we saw in that. So the abstinence only effort of our federal government and the money that the government put into abstinence only education came when the teenage pregnancy rate was skyrocketing, when the AIDS epidemic was at its highest, when there were social concerns that people believed could have been solved with abstinence. And that's Again, true. Coming out of that 70s era of make love, uh, not war. Right. And right. they were just trying to slow the freight train of STDs and infertility and broken hearts and all that. All so of that. We're trying to slow that down. Mm -hmm. And so we always said the 100% effective way of not getting an STD, of not getting pregnant is abstinence. That, that is totally true. Right. We didn't anticipate the unintended consequences of teaching from a place of shame and, um, and purity as defined very narrowly. And, and so there, I, I think that that for me is a space and a reason to offer even more grace because right. I get I get where you were coming from, Shannon. I get where I was coming from. And I hope that others who need to forgive us can acknowledge that and do the work to work to, to forgive where that's needed. Right. Again, we're not excusing our ignorance. Mm -hmm. We're just describing it. Uh, we're not prescribing ignorance. We're just describing our own personal ignorance. And I also think that... Um, yeah, we had no idea. We just had no idea. If we had been told that, look, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, the things that people have read in your book or have heard you speak from, from or speak about from stage, 
it's going to greatly inhibit their sex life in their marriage. It's going to make them feel shame. It's going to make them feel condemnation. It's going to make them look at God through a lens of, I don't think that I can do this Christian thing because I am a sexual being and I can't deny it. So I guess I can't be sexual and spiritual at the same time and nothing could be further from the truth. But you get the idea Mm -hmm. of if you had told us that that kind of damage would be done, I would have sooner become a, a greeter at Walmart before continuing right. on in this vein because I never intended to hurt anyone. I have to give a shout out to Joshua Harris for kind of lifting this particular veil for me because when I heard him talking about how in his studies at Regent University, I think, that fellow students had approached him saying, yeah, you're the Joshua Harris that wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah, I read that. And at first he was taking it as a compliment. And then he realized very quickly, oh no, the spirit that they are in, that they're making this comment is not positive. And that some went on to say, I didn't just kiss dating goodbye because of your book. I feel like I kissed marriage goodbye. I kissed family goodbye. I kissed being a grandparent or grandparent goodbye. And the weight of that was so heavy on him that he went on an apology tour and he Mm -hmm. asked I think it's Multnomah, he asked them to stop yes. publishing this book to his own financial, you know, like royalties are a thing. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was that courageous in yeah. owning his mistake and saying, there's no need to perpetuate this now that we know how it's impacting people. Mm-hmm. And, and when he said, I was 20 something when I wrote this and I so didn't understand. And I think that this announcement too kind of went alongside his own announcement of, mm-hmm. of divorce between divorce. Him, yeah, that their own sex life had been a major struggle. And to talk about an epiphany there, but the fact that he was humble enough to admit it, I couldn't deny. Yeah. And, then, and then when you and I started reconnecting and talking and that you also had that vision of that rose skit, we did some damage, you know, that, that spit in the cup skit, yeah. the damage. It's like, I can't deny that. And I am so sorry. I know that you are too. I know that Joshua Harris is, I can't speak for every abstinence educator on the planet, but please know that we were totally ignorant and we had the best of intentions. And we're so sorry if you were hurt by anything that we spoke, preached about, or wrote about in any way, shape, or form. Everybody's journey is unique. Sexuality is as unique as your thumbprint. And if your unique journey was negatively impacted by anything that we or anything about the purity movement, uh, you know, instilled in you, we are so sorry. And we want to be part of the healing process, but we humbly admit that we were wrong and we ask your forgiveness. Um, And I want to rewind to something that I said that I know is going to be a, you know, it's going to get stuck in people's crawl. When I said that I uh, don't necessarily regret having had some sexual experience before walking into this marriage i i'm not saying that i don't regret any of it i regret every yeah. sexual encounter that meant nothing i regret every sexual uh-huh. encounter with an inappropriate person or who held no promise for the future uh-huh. or it was for any other reason other than yeah I'm hoping that we can create something long-term here, you know? So I, I just want to clarify that. Yeah. I, I'm not supporting yeah. random casual sex. I, I never 
since my awakening at 19 years old in the funeral home, embalming bodies with HIV and AIDS, I, 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 I will always regret the casual sex that I had and I could never go back to that. But mm-hmm. to say to somebody, you're somehow damaged because you weren't a virgin when you came into this marriage, that message yeah. blew my mind that anyone could have ever said it or anyone ever heard it or heard it that way because that is just not scriptural at all the whole imaged goods theology no no very good theology that you are very good it always amazes me to think back to how we dismissed anyone in the room who had already had sex we may have made an offhanded comment or two about how secondary virginity is a thing. You can reclaim your virginity. I promoted that because I wasn't a virgin. So I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't have that expectation that everyone else should be that. So I heavily promoted secondary Mm -hmm. virginity, but then I don't think what if I need tertiary or, you know, 20th. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Um, the There's idea was that if you thing. blew it before, fine, don't blow it again. Yes, yes, you can recommit. And there's nothing biblical about that. I mean, being made new and being made a new creation, of course, in the biggest sense is what happens when we receive Christ into our lives. Um, but secondary virginity is it, just not a thing. So why is it that we treat this topic of sex outside a covenant relationship i like your i like your language there i like that vocabulary why do we treat that differently than the other sins that we've mentioned of just cheating stealing gluttony uh we don't tell people okay so you overate on new year's eve don't do it again ever repent okay fine so you lied on your income taxes all right then just don't be a secondary um uh secondary non (laughs) non non-cheater non-liar i don't know but don't blow it again like right well we single out out sexuality as a culture that and is it that passage that any other sin you commit is outside your body but sexual sin is against your body but I don't even know that it's limited to Christians, that Americans are just weird about sex. My husband talks a lot about growing up in Germany. He lived in Germany from age 12 to 19. And and he says that it's just different there. It's not overly promiscuous. It's just a normal part of life. It's not shame-filled. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what I experienced with my time in the Netherlands and Belgium is just uh-huh. it just is what it is and I kept thinking if I had been walking through these streets with all these women with you know really short skirts and halter tops and even in the dead of winter if I had done that 35 years ago I just would have been mortified at their lack of modesty and would have but, judged them yes but at 56 I was kind of like wow uh you're rocking that look <laughs> you know like I even <laughs> a couple of women just so you know you look amazing that i don't have this theology any longer of oh you need to cover it all up don't let anybody mm-hmm. see 
don't let anybody look at it. Don't let anybody lust over it. And granted, some may have taken it a little too far, but yeah, that's that's their business. That's that's not cause for judgment. Um, because we have, I think that the impact of us teaching this, oh, modest is hottest, and like even the ministry that I worked for for ten years, their um, their rule was you can't wear a crossbody purse because the strap going between your cleavage is just enhancing your breasts and causing men to to stumble and fall by looking and lusting. It's like, oh my gosh, I love my crossbody purse. And I, I know my son, it. my son was carrying my crossbody purse yesterday. <laughs> what does that say <laughs> about him? But this mentality that we instilled of you got to be modest, you got to cover it up, you can't let anybody notice you has really translated into, of course, I'm not going to wear lingerie in the bedroom. That would be cheap. That would be tawdry. Mm -hmm. um, I remember hearing a woman say that she picked out all this really sexy lingerie for her honeymoon. And her mom was looking over her shoulder at what all she selected. And the advice that she offered her daughter is just so you know, if you dress like you're his little plaything, that's all you'll ever be is just his little plaything. It's like, how is that? How is like, how, what was she but, supposed to do with that information? But she right. said that she took it all back and she got more classy, longer flowing. In other words, I covered my body. Yeah. I, I knew better than to let my husband look at my body. And it's like, if there's anybody on the planet still the freedom to wear so, just a totally sexy thong bikini for it's your husband. Yeah. Yep. So I, I grieve, I, I grieve over how women mm -hmm. looked at their body through a different lens as a result of these purity movement messages. Yeah. Now let's think about this other piece that just, it, it rips my heart out. I rip my heart out every time. What about the teenagers who were in the room when we were teaching, who were not virgins, not by their choice? Those who had been molested, those who had been sexually assaulted. We told them that someone else took from them what God saved for their spouse, that what God wanted them to save for their spouse. We never talked about, about the deep damage that sexual assault does to anyone, not, I mean, most of all children and teenagers. Um, that I think is the place where I, I want to offer a special note of repentance um, with no explanation. There is nothing in the world that I can say that, that, that would ever make that okay. And I think that, that the church's silence on this issue in general causes people to view the church as the last place where they would go for comfort yes. after they've assaulted. Yes. And the silence is implicit shame over what happened to them. Right. So, and, and oh. that, and sexual assault is shameful enough. And so to hear from the church, your body is pure and you need to save it for, for your spouse, your partner. Um, it just compounds everything. And I am so deeply sorry for ever promoting that message. Right. Well, 
I, I have to say that because of my personal experiences with being molested by three different uncles, I did always weave that into my talks, but here's the message that I was giving. The message that I was giving is that if this was not a choice that you made, you're still a spiritual virgin, which basically gave the message that there's no replacement for physical virginity. So, wow, that really sucks for you. All you can claim is a spiritual virginity. But I also think that it instilled the mentality. It, it, it perpetuated that thought of I am damaged goods. Um, it seemed like there was something else that I was going to say about how that probably translated. Oh, because I was bringing it up, but didn't have the training or the skills to really go to any depth with it that I just, I don't want to say casually mentioned it. I, I tried to weave it with lots of sincerity because it was coming from my heart as a child who had been sexually molested by multiple people within my own family. Um, I tried to do it very sincerely, but I did not have the training to treat it with the focus that it that it deserved and so it it may have done more damage than good it it likely triggered those survivors in the room and then right. just kind of left them to fend for themselves we right. didn't have we didn't have a, a structure for referrals or anything like that well yeah. and it also probably set up the idea that this is a, this is something about my life that I probably should not share with my future spouse yeah. or else he's yeah. going to see me as damaged goods. Cause I can only claim that I'm a spiritual yeah. virgin, not a sexual virgin, uh, which is, was strictly a medical term, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You would be surprised at how many people I've worked with through the years that he is only just now finding out that there has been sexual abuse in her childhood. I bet. 20 or 30 years because she was mm -hmm. so locked down about it for fear that he would lose respect or that she would lose him altogether. And yes, that is a byproduct of the purity movement message. And we are so sorry yeah. for any shame that you would have felt over that message of how mm -hmm. it translated. Um, who, was there anything else that you wanted to add? About no, that? no. I don't want to cut it short. Yeah. Uh, who else needs to be forgiven besides abstinence educators, youth pastors who, the only curriculum we had was true love weights. What else were we going to use? Right. Um, again, not justifying it, just making the observation of the, I, I actually was really proud of the author is eluding me at the moment, but after I kissed dating goodbye became so, so popular um, there was, I gave yeah. dating a chance. Yes. I yeah. want to say Justin look do, but I don't know for sure that that's the right name. I have the yeah. book on my shelf because I, I, I did throw away, I could say goodbye, but I did keep that particular book at yeah. the event. With teenagers. Yeah. But in addition to people who fit the category of, I perceived them in some sort of spiritual authority over me because they had a microphone or they had read a book or they were preaching in my youth group or in my church service. I think we also need to bring it closer to home, Angie, and mention forgiving parents. I just assume they have more tools. There are going to be so many things that my kids have to forgive me for 
that um, that I constantly want to be aware of of things that I've done so that I can apologize and have conversations with them. I recognize that my parents didn't have they didn't they didn't talk to me very much about this. I don't think my dad ever did, but my mom, um, she just didn't have anything else to offer. So I I don't know that I feel like I need I personally need to forgive my mom, um, but I'm sure that there are folks out there who do. I, I think that you've hit the nail on the head is that it might not have been the wrong information or lack of uh, accurate information. It could be the code of silence yeah. that needs to be forgiven because silence speaks a lot. And I think that that most people that's exactly what they got yeah uh, and i want to urge you i actually heard from a lady who went through one of my workshops recently and she reached out saying i've been so focused on processing my own emotional and spiritual baggage from the purity movement and what that did to her marriage which is is no longer in existence but she said i've just awakened to the reality that my daughter is 15 and I have not even started having conversations around sexuality yeah. with her. So she's, she's starting, she's just kind of falling back into the familiar of my parents yeah. didn't talk to me, so I'm not going to talk to her or I'm not going to repeat what my parents told me, but what do we teach them? So Angie, that is our next conversation. Okay. We have to go in the direction of, okay, well, if the purity movement isn't what we want to spoon feed the next generation of healthy sexual and spiritual beings who grow up to get married, love sex, create grandchildren for us, all that, all that jazz. If we, if it's not the purity movement message, then what is it? Is it? That's going to be the big Thanks. thing, but I, I have to end with this quick note. When you make the list of people that you need to forgive that served up this Kool-Aid that may have done a lot of damage in your life. And I do encourage you to look at the damage, like really think about what were those mentalities? How was my self-esteem impacted? How was my relationship with God impacted? How has my marriage been impacted? How has my family, my parenting style been impacted? When you consider all of this, I want you to please add someone to the list. And that is yourself. Yeah. Because I know that when you get immersed in cult-like thinking of just, this is what society has been teaching, and you wake up to the reality of, oh my gosh, that was so off base, you have this really heavy feeling toward yourself of how did I swallow that? How did I not see that? How did I not challenge that? How did I not do it differently? We're all creatures of the path that was illuminated before us and to blaze a totally different trail in the dark kind of like to plunge to the depths of that ocean floor can feel scary yeah. and so please forgive yourself as well um yeah. for just the naivety because we've all been there we've all been naive well i realize that you have pastoral business that you need to go tend to you right know. now so we're gonna have to wrap up this conversation but we uh, have more we'll have more Hope you'll tune in next time for our conversation on what are we going to tell our kids now that we know what we know. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. We love you for listening. And thanks for tapping on us. 